something that feels really important about intuition. And I feel like, at least in my experience, intuition is really accessed through innocence. It's accessed through not knowing. It's accessed through being willing to take our logical, you know, rational mind and settle it back to really allow life and all of its kind of wild ways of, exp- of of showing imagery or saying words. Like I actually think I'm a firm believer that every single person has access, can access their intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is about our relationship to our innocence, mm-hmm. to our inner child. Welcome to the Wild on Purpose podcast, a place for those deeply committed to knowing themselves and embodying their authentic purpose in the world. I'm your host, Kelly Wildmiller. In this show, we gather to discuss what it truly means to lead by our essential nature and uncage our greatest gifts so we may share them with others. We'll be exploring an expansive range of topics, from health and healing, spirituality and consciousness, to relationships, work, and more. As we turn over many stones, we'll uncover a golden thread, inviting us to rewild our bodies and minds while awakening our souls and stepping more fully into our purpose. Thank you for being here, and please enjoy this wild conversation. Hello, wild ones. Happy 2023. This is my first episode of the new calendar year after taking a slightly unexpected six-week break from podcasting. Like many of you, I'm living in the Northern Hemisphere, where it is very much winter. In Boulder, Colorado, where I call home, the trees are barren, the wind is sharp, the snow is falling, and I'm not getting as much sunshine as I prefer. The desires to hibernate and slow down have sauntered their way into my body and mind, and my creative mojo is just not as here as it was a few months ago. And I'm listening to this. I have to say that aligning myself with the seasons has been one of the most life-changing facets of rewilding for me. To recognize that I'm feeling winter inside of myself while it is winter outside feels right. It feels aligned. Yet in this always on and always bright world that we live in with goal setting and New Year's resolutions, this world that tries to operate like it's perpetually summer, taking time to be in the frequency of winter is edgy. Who are we as a species if we're not always producing, sharing, expanding, and consuming? Who would we be as individuals if we allowed for the fallow, unproductive, contracting times? Would we stay here like this forever? Or would we emerge into spring, just like the natural world will inevitably do in a few months' time, while feeling rested, rejuvenated, and reconnected to ourselves and each other? So in the spirit of slowing down and aligning with the seasons, the final four episodes of season one of this podcast will emerge into the world at their own pace, starting with today's guest, Olivia Broughton, who teaches us that life is ceremony 
and that we must honor the cycles and rhythms of life. Olivia is a dear friend of mine who has met me in the depths of my transitions over the past six months in a really big way, from moving back to the United States, to death, to marriage, and to this fierce yet uncomfortable desire to slow down. Olivia has been there with me, reminding me to listen to how I'm actually doing and to see all of life from its beauty and its pain as medicine as opportunities to become more present, more whole, and more here. We had the great pleasure of recording this interview in person in my bedroom right before the new year. So when you're listening, think of this conversation from that timing, the timing of endings and new beginnings, the timing of deep winter. In this conversation, we traverse through Olivia's early years as a highly intuitive child and how fully claiming her intuitive gifts was her rewilding journey. As a ceremonialist, Olivia holds people through their most sacred moments in life, marriages, deaths, births, divorce, rites of passage, and how these moments hold the potential for deep healing, connection, and deepened awareness. Even our most mundane and basic daily doings can also be seen as sacred, like listening to this podcast, driving your car, playing with your puppy, or brushing your teeth. And thinking of it from this perspective might bring you ever more deeply into the exact life you're living now, but with fresh eyes and a renewed heart. I hope this conversation serves you on your own rewilding journey. Welcome, Olivia, to the Wild on Purpose podcast. I am so glad that you are here and we get to have this interview in person. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Sitting on our cuddle pad in my master bedroom next to our fireplace. And it is so nourishing to finally have a podcast conversation in real life. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I've been looking forward to this. Yes. Yeah. So although we are sitting in the same place for our listeners, can you orient us to where in the world we are mm -hmm. and what the natural world is looking like outside these doors? Mm. So we are in Boulder, Colorado. And right now it's actually, I feel like a weatherman or a weather woman. It's 42 degrees. Um, it's sunny and beautiful and some little spots of snow on the ground, but it's really lovely weather. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a local wildfire that mm -hmm. started yesterday. Mm -hmm. So there's some smoke in the air as well. Hoping that everybody is okay. Mm -hmm. All the structures, everyone yeah. who had to evacuate. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. Definitely. Mm -hmm. <sighs> well, can you tell us in your own words, in what ways were you a wild young child? Mm -hmm. And how is that viewed in your family of origin? Mm. So I was the epitome of a wild, uncontained child. Um, I didn't quite have the understanding of boundaries and I loved being in everybody's bubbles. I was actually like, my mom like showed me this kind of uh, yearly review from one of my teachers and they were, she was like, you know, very kind, loving child, you know, doesn't quite finish her work, likes being around every single person in the room. You know, it was just like the epitome of a very joyful, energized 
child that didn't want to do work and I wanted to play and I wanted to kind of be around. And I would say that like I had two sides of the spectrum in my family. Like my, my mom was like really like able to be with me and, and navigate what I can relate to as like too muchness. If that was the wound of it, Mm. not necessarily now, that's not how I hold it. But, um, and then my dad and I, like, we have a such a beautiful relationship and we, we reflect on it as like, you know, it, it just, I triggered him a lot and it was, it was his own wounding that I was bringing up by kind of being this very promiscuous, unfiltered, um, wild child. Mm. Um, and it, and it wasn't just like, you know, just physically, like there was you know, other worlds that was already, I was awakened to very early on that would kind of just added to the wildness, I think my own internal wildness. So, Mm. um, yeah, I think that whilst mom was really good, like every, the, the message I kept getting was like too much, like this Mm. is gotta be constrained and like, here's the right way to do things and tap it down. Or you're being, my nickname used to be Libby and it was, you know, you're being this much Libby. I'm holding my hands wide right now for all of the listeners, like this much Libby you need to be. And they would size it down. People would be like, you need to be this much Libby. And Mm -hmm. it's, you know, really got programmed in, I think pretty quickly. What do you think that did to you once you were an adult? How did that actually manifest later in life? Mm. I think it's something I'm still untethering, like really gauging, you know, when it, when like I'm being fully expressed and like fully known in the moments that are so still unconscious to me of like how I tamp down or how I can lessen something or how I can maybe not share, share the fullness of my needs or desires. Mm. And so just really, it's like, feels like still an untethering of like, yeah, what, you know, what is, what is true? What is mm-hmm. honest, you know, in that moment. Mm-hmm. What are some of your practices or ways of mm. tuning into that? And maybe whether it's healing it on the spot, if you're able to recognize it in the moment or, you know, with hindsight. Mm. Mm. I think, you know, a lot of it has been, I've, I am so rewarded by inner child work. That's something that I connected with really early on. Like my mom used to be like a part of me is like anytime I'd get in conflict. And so she, she started this relationship internally of like, I have this part inside of me. And then as time progressed, I got in touch with like this really innocent one. And I think now it's like really slowing down and tracking like my internal system, my internal parts, my inner child. And, you know, she feels like such a guide for me on reminding me of like, how we can stay untethered in the moments that maybe we shut down. And so it feels very instantaneously in the moment as best as I can. And if it's not, then it's, you know, days after where I'm like, Oh my gosh, I did this thing again. Okay. Uh huh. Yeah. So coming back to compassion for learning, mm. you know, learning the untether. Yeah. And compassion for that little part of you, that little Libby yeah. who was, too big, too much, and was asked to be smaller. Yeah. And what that's like for a young child of 
who just wants to express and be curious and be big and creative. And to me, you know, the work that I'm doing with rewilding, like this is one of the core pillars of it is our self-expression and coming back into a place of safety within ourselves to fully express and to ask for what we need and to be a big bundle of joy out in the world if that's what we want to express. And it's, it's been interesting in my own journey of watching myself even withhold the expression of love sometimes or the expression of joy of like, if you go around in the world, you kind of notice like everybody's acting in a very similar sort of subdued, calm way. Like mm-hmm. you go to the grocery store you don't see someone in like a wild fit of joy in, mm-hmm. in an aisle. But like, what if I was feeling that in that moment, but I suppressed it yeah. because I need to be good. The world is, doesn't want my bigness. Like don't stand out all these, all these programmings, mm-hmm. whether it's just for me, I used to hear you're annoying because I was this goofy, crazy little girl who wanted to tap dance around the house and and sing, um, destiny's child songs. And (laughs) yeah, I just remember hearing you're a dork, you're weird and you're annoying. Yeah. Which now if someone told me when I'm being expressive, you're annoying, there might be a slight like, Oh, thing, Mm -hmm. but I've healed it enough to know that like, okay, cool. You're annoyed by me, but I'm I'm not identifying with annoying. Yeah. But it takes a lot of that untethering to say like, what is real for me? in each and every moment. Totally. What feels true and what is not a, like, I think sometimes like, at least I've witnessed on the healing path. It's like, if there was a suppression on some level when we were younger, then there's a kind of reaction to it. It's Mm -hmm. like, I'm not going to be contained. I'm I'm going to be free. And it's kind of breeds more of the same thing. It Mm -hmm. doesn't, it doesn't quite tether into like, and maybe we, and I believe sometimes we have to go, we have to like, go the opposite to like come back but it's just like an interesting thing to kind of come to a place of like huh like there's so many just different ways this can go and it at the root of it it's not coming from a place of like fighting against anything proving yeah 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 really quick because it just brings up my framework of caged feral wild is like i really do think under just i'll just use the um the slice of the pie of expression. Mm. Like, let's say our expression as a child was really limited. I do think there is a phase where we have to rebel against that and almost pendulum swing into like hyper expression Mm. might even look like mania. It might, you know, it's probably not going to be viewed very well by family and the people around us. And yet there's a a rewilding that is happening, Mm. but it still is coming from a wounded place. You're in resistance to the wound. But I think in that process, it shows us, I do have choice. And then like Mm. with time, that choice starts to like, I don't want to use the word temper, but it kind of does. It starts to kind of come back into like the middle path of like, yes, I have freedom to self-express, but I'm not going to like barf it all over you. Yeah. And that's sort of where authentic relating comes in, right? It's like, what is my authenticity, but how do I express it in relationship Mm -hmm. versus Mm -hmm. just like middle fingers up walking through the world? Like I'm gonna do me, screw you. That's not helpful either. 
but I think it's starting to get, it's like a necessary stage. Yeah. It's just not the end path. Yeah. We're kind of like normalizing a new, I think there's like a new way, there are probably many new ways, right? To adult, quote unquote. Um, this, I know my relationship to, you know, becoming an adult, it was this always this kind of looming thing of growing up and being responsible meant being serious and, you know, having your stuff together. And I imagine I'm not just speaking for myself and saying this, but now it's like really redefining what, what actually being an adult is for some, it is being like childlike and playful and wild and weird and silly. And they get to do that for their work. You know, they get to create a life around that. So I think that, you know, these generations that are coming up, the generations that have just become adults, um, are really rewilding to use your words, rewilding this, this word around being, being older. Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. I love that so much. Mm. So, um, you alluded to when you were talking about your childhood, that you had these intuitive gifts and that you were accessing places mm. that kind of added to the, the wilderness of your, of your youth. Mm-hmm. Can you speak a little bit to, cause I know a little bit about that process for you of when, you realize that you were very intuitive. Um, I'll use the word psychic if that's okay. Mm-hmm. You can change that if you'd like. Um, and what that was like to discover that young mm-hmm. and how was that viewed mm-hmm. in your community, family, schooling system? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, there's a time when I, when I was really young, I started just hearing things and seeing things and feeling things. And I wasn't like, it didn't fit into logical understanding. Like I didn't have like, I didn't have that it was good or bad, that it was or wasn't happening for people. It just was happening. And then when I started sharing it with my mom, she validated it. She was like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You're probably feeling these things. And what are you seeing? And she didn't shut it down, which Mm -hmm. I think I imagine there's a lot of people that that happened to, where it's like, you're just making this up. That's just your imagination. Mm -hmm. And there's a quick shutdown. And I mean, she really didn't. She just, you know, like if anything, she was like, let's like, let's play here. And she, I remember one of her friends coming over and we were in the living room and um, I was about, I want to say like 11 or 12. Um, and she was like, give this, you know, give her a reading, give my friend a reading. And I was like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. And then sure enough, I closed my eyes and I channeled this whole thing. And it was just like, there was not a part of it that was incorrect. And it was all really on point and just kind of like, whoa. And I, I mean, you know, my mom was always like, people might not understand this when you go to school, your friends might not understand this. So just be really mindful about who you share it with because it's, it can be seen as weird. And I don't know if that was her own conditioning. And I I know that you came from protection, but it really had me kind of be cautious about sharing it with people. And I didn't get confirmation externally that anyone else is really experiencing it. Mm. But I also didn't have it that like other people didn't Mm. do this. Like I was like, it's just kind of this thing that's here. Um, And it was everything from like psychic knowing things to like mediumship, um, to, I remember getting bullied and I could see my bully getting beaten by his dad. And I remember being like, 
saying something about it. And they really got weirded out by it, that I knew it. And it kind of became this weird thing, but it actually allowed for me to have a lot of compassion. Wow. I just got full body chills. It was, yeah, I was like, oh my gosh, everyone has something. Um, so I think I answered your question. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Um, so what I'm hearing is your mom really allowed you to honor it within the dynamic between you and her mm -hmm. instead of suppressing it back at, at home, mm -hmm. which I think you're right. So many children with whatever, whatever their expression is, whether it's their intuitive gifts, their creativity, their artistry, their voice, their questions, mm -hmm. you know, there is a lot of like, be quiet. Don't talk about that. Just listen, become an adult. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and it sounds like your mom really nurtured that in your guys's dynamic, but then at school, you were asked to keep it separate. Yeah. So like out in the world, out you were world. asked to compartmentalize it. Yeah. What was the process like to heal that and actually come out in the world yeah. as a very intuitive being? Yeah. So I, I think around like high school, I so wanted to be normal at one point because it started getting really, really loud. Um, like throughout elementary school, middle school, I got the message like, you need to not have this to fit in because no one else, like you got to fit in in some way. And it just, I think I, I eventually just shut it off. Like I, it like numbed out and I came really numb so much to the point that I think like it physically manifested through anorexia in college. Like I remember just like completely feeling numb, really shut off my system. And, um, and then when I decided to move up here in 2014, up to Colorado, it was like, it just turned back on again. It was like, all of a sudden the floodgates open and everything poured in again. Um, and I, it felt like I had like, <laughs> I, I felt like I was going crazy because it had been so many years that I had turned it off to mm. where all of a sudden all these things, like I remember walking down Pearl street and I could see things walking around people and they could hear things. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this is, this is like the childhood again. Like this is what used to happen. Um, and then my sister, Amelia, um, she, she really like, she had never known about it, never known that this was true. It had mm. ever happened. We were living together at the time. So I'm starting to share her mm. like my whole life with her. Um, and she, when we would go out, she, she would be like, she would tell people like, Hey, my sister can do this. And I think like at the time it kind of had me be like, Oh my God, I don't want to be known because people kind of would pedestal. Like I noticed mm. like also sounds kind of like a party trick. Yeah. Like, it was cool thing. My sister can do <laughs> yeah, kind of, <laughs> kind of how it turned into. And, and it, the, I, there's so many layers to this. Like on one level, she was like, I see this like, gift in you and mm. it's so much of who you are mm. and I want it I want you to be known and that was like her like her, that the core of it that was what it that was she hold it so preciously and so sacredly and then yeah these other facets of party trick which kind of was like this doesn't feel honoring for me for some reason and not really knowing the full way to to really revere these other worlds yet mm. um and then also just 
you know, there's a boundary crosses that like, I could feel people, I could feel their wounds. I could see their life. I could, I could know the people that had passed. I could see things of like, you know, their misses. And I think that for me now looking back, I'm like, wow, that, that was, that's really intrusive. That doesn't honor someone's space and mm-hmm. someone's existence. And mm-hmm. so I, it was such a great learning, um, to have it come back open and, uh, and now it just is still on forever. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm never going to turn it off. <laughs> I have the weirdest question that I have to follow up with. Yeah. So I, uh, I'm pretty sure we're around the same age. And I was in, I think maybe fourth grade when Harry Potter came out. Mm. And so I'm so curious because I think I always had a fascination with the magical realm and the unseen realm. Mm. And I, I remember being truly mortified year year after year that no letter came to me to like bring yeah. me to bring me to the magical wizarding mm-hmm. world mm-hmm. and just diving into those books as well as Lord of the Rings and really like hanging out in these mythic landscapes in my mind mm-hmm. as a bit of maybe an escapism because I felt more excitement in those stories than I did in the day-to-day reality of just being a kid in middle America. Mm-hmm. Um so I'm curious I could see one story unfolding of like a bit of um, safety in those stories for you of like, here's these other, at least characters who have these interesting gifts. How did you relate to those kinds of stories growing up? Yeah. If at all. Yeah. I mean, I can remember, I don't think I ever, I think I was like, kind of like I never got into the Harry Potter books it was a little like my sister was really into them so Mm. she was she kind of got more into the 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 books but um it at that time that era of like Harry Potter and then all of these other things like there was a like I do remember going to the library and it being like wizards and witches around I think at that time because I had kind of separated Mm. separated you know, um, this happens in, you know, at home, we can do this intuitive stuff, but mm. out in the world, mm. you don't do it. You should be normal. I disconnected from it. And then when my mom would like take me to the spiritual shops downtown, that was like my safe haven. Like I could stay in that store and like look at books or look at decks or, you know, it, it just felt safe. Smell incense. It's still a very nostalgic thing for me, but, mm. um, yeah, I don't have any like core memories with Harry Potter and all this. Okay, things. great. I said it was a weird question. It's great. <laughs> but it's interesting from my perspective being like, man, I, I remember we used to drive. Um, I remember this one memory. I was in the car with my babysitter at the time and everywhere where telephone wires would crisscross, I believed I would see a spark of electricity. Mm. I would see this mm. thing at the crisscrossing of wires. And I don't know if that was true. It was probably just weird light optical illusion happening in the speed of a car mm-hmm. kind of thing. And I remember my babysitter being like, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, you do. And it's like, mm, really wanting to play in a yeah. realm that felt more invisible yeah, and that we weren't being taught at school. Yeah, And so um, it's why I literally say, as Johnny and I have been traveling around the world, like I collect wizards. Mm. which for me are the body workers, the healers, the energy workers, the psychics, the the intuitive people that I've met 
in crazy places all around the world and, mm. you know, including America, including here in Boulder. And that every time I meet someone who's tapped into something, it's like, I need you in my life. Yeah. Like you are just a walking, walking proof that there is more to this existence than what mm. we just see. Mm-hmm. And mm. I've noticed that amongst those people, there's a different orientation towards life and reality and a bit more of a, a sacred approach yeah. to walking through life. Mm. So I would love to now pivot a little bit into your work as a ceremonialist mm. and the philosophy of life as ceremony. Mm. Um, so can you first just share like, what is your work as a ceremonialist? How would you define that? Mm. And then um, would love to know if there's any strong connection points between the intuitive gifts that you connected with as a child mm. and the work that you do now. Oh, I love this question. Mm. So I, I feel like being a ceremonialist and life of ceremony is its own entity. Like it's something I am in constant relationship with. It's a very emergent relationship of new, new ways to explain what it is and how it relates in my life and how it currently exists is as as a ceremonialist, I get to curate ceremony, curate ritual, um, and experiences that bring a depth, uh, bring us into contact with the essence of what we're doing and, and our life and maybe a transition that we're going through. Um, and I get to hold the client, my clients through that. So, so far that's been like doing a wedding. Um, and curating it in, in a sense that doesn't look like regular weddings. It's like, you know, getting to have a grief ritual where, mm-hmm. you know, we're grieving the single life, you know, we're walking into a marriage, getting to have the passing down of, you know, f- being a husband or being a wife or, you know, a, a married partner, getting to hand that baton from one parent to mm-hmm. their child. And for me, it's, you know, so there's weddings, there's births, you know, father initiation, mother initiation. Mm. Um, yeah, I could say so much about each of these ceremonies. There's, I've done abortions. I've done, you know, um, death ceremonies, um, grief ceremonies. And it's, it's not like I have a set structure. It's not like, I'm like, this is what we do at these ceremonies. It's just getting to tune into, okay, what's happening and what's the life experience and, what's needed here? Like, how do we really come in contact with what is happening? Um, and that's all under the sense of life as ceremony, which is saying that it's like, we don't like everything is medicine. Everything is an opportunity to really get into the reverence that is life to get into the exquisite, these exquisite moments where our life can just be fully transformed. It's not, it doesn't have to be a big retreat or, you know, a big breakup. It's like every day is, is a ceremony. Mm-hmm. Um, Beautiful. There's so many threads I want to pull on from there. Um, I would love to just close the loop around like the connection to maybe your early wildness or your early intuitive gifts and how you, Mm. if you, if you've even thought about that Mm -hmm. of like how it's brought you here. Yeah. 
Well, there's something that feels really important about intuition. And I feel like, at least in my experience, intuition is really accessed through innocence. It's accessed through not knowing. It's accessed through being willing to take our logical, you know, rational mind and settle it back to really allow life and all of its kind of wild ways of, exp- of of showing imagery or saying words. Like I actually think I'm a firm believer that every single person has access, can access their intuition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really is about our relationship to our innocence, mm-hmm. to our inner child. Um, and I think like really in these ceremonial creations, I feel like I get to play and create and love in the ways that mm-hmm. I get to love. Like, you know, working with you and Johnny, I'm like, okay, you guys want to do this ceremony and like, okay, let me see how I like can weave this and what, what wants to be like, I just got to be in, in to like have my inner child on my lap and we got to create and imagine and, you know, having that sweet connection to my inner child really allows that that innocence that imagination to come through and um yeah and it, and and that just kind of that intuition to come into place mm-hmm. so i feel like all three of those to me are really really bonded yeah yeah beautiful well i just now i feel like feel called to talk about how yeah. we work together and how mm-hmm. it ties into this life is ceremony and how we are continuing to work together and um, just for some background, when I, when Johnny and I got back to Boulder, um, it was in the aftermath of my father passing away. Mm. And also right before Johnny and I knew that we were going to get legally married. And so like in the midst of just massive life transitions, like some of the big three, right? Like family death, marriage, and moving. And not just a little move, like we moved from Bali. Yeah. And that all happened within a six week period, more or less two months, I guess. And I just knew I was like this, there's so much happening here that if I don't intentionally sit with it in a ceremonial fashion, like either it's going to wreck me Mm. and I'm just going to be absolutely blindsided by all the intensity of these transitions or I'll numb, which is also being wrecked, right? Like I'll either be a puddle of grief on the ground for weeks on end and just like stunned or yeah, I'll be numb and I'll miss the moment too. Mm -hmm. I'll miss the aliveness of these moments. And part of me was like, no, I need to slow it down. Like one thing at a time, please. Mm -hmm. And, and I think it was our first session sitting with you where I just cried and like allowed myself to feel all of this is happening and it's happening now and it needs to happen now. And like, okay, that life is like this now and just feeling <laughs> the gorgeousness of like accepting all of it. It's mm-hmm. all happening right now. Mm-hmm. And I get to choose how to relate to it. And it's so helpful to have tools of ritual mm-hmm. and perspectives of ceremony to bring into these big or small life transitions. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so cool. Like I, what I love so much about the work that we've done together. And I totally see that inner child in you. I totally see that little girl who who's running around to all the friends to be like, Hey, like, let's play. What are you working on? Mm-hmm. Is like 
what what we initially hired you for mm. changed so many times to the point where now it's just me working with you. Mm-hmm. And we did a death ceremony and now we're doing a Dharmic marriage ceremony in a couple of weeks. And both of us are just like in this dance of like, mm-hmm. what's here now? Mm-hmm. And anytime I brought a voice memo to you, that was like, life's changed. Mm. Here's who I am now. Yeah, The ceremony's got to update. And you're like, life is ceremony. Mm-hmm. Like, this is it. Mm-hmm. You're in it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so can you share, um, yeah, life is ceremony for people who, I feel like for, for people who sit with medicine, yeah, the phrase ceremony makes a lot of sense. Yeah, Like they might be able to totally understand that life is ceremony. For those who haven't ventured into that path, can you just explain like, what mm-hmm. is ceremony? Mm-hmm. Hmm. So it, I can't remember. I know it was like around six years ago, five or six years ago that life of ceremony landed at my doorstep. It came into my awareness and hasn't left. And, you know, I, I work in the medicine space and I think that having been in that environment where there's so much reverence, there's so much, um, at least in the environments I've been in, there's been so much reverence and honoring and presence that I just started to notice a, where, you know, individuals would go into a medicine space and they'd have this beautiful experience and then they'd have this kind of whiplash of experience going back into life. Mm. I was like, okay, there's a miss happening here. There's, there's, but there's a glitch and I'm like, how do we support, you know, the life of ceremony and ceremony here to me really means like, how do we become present and reverent with the breath of life where existing is a prayer just by being, we are the altar, we are the prayer, we are the medicine so that as we start to really become aware to that we already are this, like how we wash the dishes, how we connect, how we wake up in the morning, how we navigate shadow or pain, discomfort. All of that is beautiful, genius medicine. It couldn't be more perfect. And I think that, I think the more I've cultivated this in my life, there isn't such a difference when I go into ceremony, medicine ceremony, or go into life ceremony. It's just one long, it's just more living. It's mm. just the same thing. And mm. so my part of doing the work that I'm doing around creating this, this being a ceremonialist and creating ceremony around life without, um, you know, psychedelics or, um, alter mind altering medicine is to support this. Um, to support the integration, support the, the having this all the time, being aware of this all the time so that if we feel called to a medicine, it's not to connect to the reverence. It's just to sit with that ally and, and be with the, that, the wisdom of that medicine as a friend. Um, so yeah, there's just, I think there's a lot of beauty around it for me. Like I often come to tears at it because I can be in like, really challenging space or I can really be sitting at the altar of my shadow and, and being like, Oh God. And, and feel my victim come online and feel this kind of like want to not be with this. And I think this reminder of life is ceremony weaving in really 
allows my heart to like, oh yeah, okay, this is all medicine and I can breathe with it and I can be with it and it might be sticky and it might be hard and that's okay. That's perfect. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> I feel so... I feel so much aliveness and it's coming up through emotion. It's coming mm. up through just like chills. And what I think you spoke to of just like all of life is ceremony. It's like, yes, 24, mm. seven, 306, like the whole start to finish the whole thing. Mm-hmm. And it's in these sort of, it can be more in these peak experiences of transitions yeah. where I feel like the timeline of our life gets a punctuation mark, right? Like, uh, marriage, obviously, mm-hmm. deaths, births. These are big ones that people already know are sacred and special in some ways. And we have some traditions still intact to some degree. And a mm-hmm. lot of it's been commercialized and whatnot, but like there's still something that punctuates those moments. And, and <laughs> it's also like we start to unpack all of those moments. And there's so many different ceremonial spaces within it. And I really want to highlight the example you gave of marriage also having a grief ceremony mm-hmm. inside of it. Mm-hmm. And like, man, I needed you back in on December 26th, 2020, <laughs> the day before Johnny and I had our soul ceremony yeah. um, coming up on our two-year anniversary for that. And nobody ever told me that I was going to feel immense grief before saying yes to my person and to the point where I was like, I don't know if I should do this because I'm, I'm in so much grief right now over the loss of my single life and the loss of these identities. And I grieved alone, Yeah, you know, I was like, all right, I'll just sit here and hold myself for a little bit. Mm -hmm. And I'm, I called a mutual friend of ours, Lorena. And I was like, can you just be a strong female presence to hold me in this moment? Cause I'm so confused. I'm supposed, aren't I supposed to be over the moon in joy and love right now? but I I feel everything but. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and when I told you that months later, I remember telling you that and you were like, you were like, yeah, of course. And I'm like, why don't they tell us this? (laughs) No one gives us this. No, no, I think people would freak out about getting married if they knew that they were going to have to go through grief right beforehand or during or after. Yeah. Right. So I was in this like entanglement of grief and joy and confusion and assuredness for like a year and a half later, which is why it took us a year and a half to actually get legally married. Mm. Cause I needed that time to be like, what, Yeah. what, what is this? What is this choice? What does this moment really mean? Mm. Um, and same thing with our legal ceremony that we had in September. Like I knew I was like, yes, I'm a yes to us legally binding ourselves to each other. That feels good. It feels mm. clean. I'm in. And there's this depth that I need and I don't know what it is. And that's when we called you in and you brought in such a beautiful death rebirth process mm. around sacred union. Mm. Um, so let's just use that as like the portal into understanding life as ceremony, mm. even more of like someone's getting married, mm. someone's engaged. Mm. How might we view that through life as ceremony beyond just white dress, wedding yeah. venue, signing some papers, like uh, <laughs> that can all be there. Totally. Sure. Yeah. But the rest of it, all the invisible aspects of it. Yeah. The heart, the emotions. Yeah. I feel like I could do just a whole 
I mean, I'm just seeing how like, I'm like, I got, I got a little like, whoa, there's so much I can say on this. Cause it's marriage is such this, you know, there's things there's, those are in that, that are in the marriage like camp and they're like marriage, having a big wedding, you know, doing it, you know, doing it all out white dress you have the bachelor party you have the bachelor party and there's like a traditional way that it goes and then there's some that are like i'm never gonna get married like i don't believe in it um and i'm kind of in the 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 camp of like if that's something you want to do then then know your why like really get in contact with like why do we want to do this thing why do we want to you know is it because like, I think why is where to start really when we're getting married. Cause it's like, to me, there's sometimes that we get married because we think it might change something that maybe I won't feel these insecurities of my partner potentially having the option to leave if we get married or, you know, maybe marriage will not have this, you know, X, Y, Z to fix or change on some level mm-hmm. marriage as a, as a saving grace on, um, and then, you know, sometimes marriage is this beautiful way to point to and, and name what you're already doing. Um, and I, there's, there's so many ways to different, like to, to name what marriage is to an unique person, but really getting in contact with why. Cause I think that, you know, I'm trying to remember my list of ceremonies that I'm like, these seem to be coming up at the weddings I've been doing, but, um, you know, really having that grief ceremony or just a space for any doubts and fears to come up. Because mm-hmm. I think that nobody, I think oftentimes if those come up, people relate to it as, well, that means we shouldn't get married. Like what you were going through, there isn't, there isn't space for any other thing but joy. Right. You know, you should be excited. This is a good experience. And it's like, we are multifaceted human beings that yeah. have many different parts in ourselves. So really just welcoming all of it. I think marriage is a big medicine. You know, I I'm, I'm working with clients right now, you know, who are going to get married next year and just sharing with them. I'm like, when we say we're going to get married, it is the medicine starts working with us. So it will bring up all the shadows and it will bring up all the doubts and it will bring up all the, the triggering situations and all the beauty and there'll probably be lots of euphoria and there'll probably be lots of like, what the fuck, you know? And I think just allowing us to be in the context of marriage as a medicine, mm. marriage as um, a beautiful opportunity that's working us and, and welcoming us um, and preparing us. Mm. Yeah. So, you know, noticing like the ceremonies I've done are like, you know, the, as I said, the handing down of the recognition of like, you are turning, you are becoming a husband. And like, maybe it's your men gathering together and like sitting in front of you and reflecting you and seeing the qualities that they really want you to remember as you go Mm -hmm. into husband, like go into husbandry or, you know, you know, offer you something, offer you a bundle to take into this marriage with and same for the woman or, you know, um, women and women or however the marriage turns out, you know, becomes. And I think that, yeah, I think that that, that's a really to get reflected and to do a ceremony with your parents before the date, if that Mm. feels right. Um, to, you know, marriage is yours and yours alone. And I think there can be 
sometimes a lot of input from families that, mm. you know, you're on both sides that maybe want the wedding to go some way. And it's like, how much are you willing to claim the sacredness that is yeah. your union and allow it to be mirrored in your wedding? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And what that really brings up for me is, you know, with these different facets of our being. Uh, so let's just use Johnny and I as an example. We get married. It's on the surface. It's just Johnny and me getting married. Yeah. But it's also me officially stepping away from my family. It's me breaking. The cords are changing. Yeah. The connection points are changing. Right. Same with him and his parents. It's also me adding two new parents mm -hmm. to my life mm -hmm. and with him and these new families. And like, we just still kind of did our own thing, but yeah. it doesn't negate the fact that our families have expanded and our relationship to those people have expanded. Yeah, You know, my single identity is done. And when that identity is from birth to you know, mostly like age 15 when I started dating, mm -hmm. you know, I could think of it like, and think about being single prior to that really, <laughs> but like 15 to, to 33 for me, like that's a large chunk of life Yeah. to, even if I'm in a partnership or even if I was in a relationship, I never, I still had a, a sense of like, I'm not married obviously. Mm. And it just, yeah, it was very shocking of how big that mm. loss felt going out of me, but it was like, and I was so grateful, yeah. right? It's like, but I just didn't feel prepared to meet that side of me. Cause like you said, just be happy. It's, yeah. the, it's the best day of your life, but it's a soup. There's so many components that need to emerge. Yeah. And I'm so grateful. You know, we didn't really do engagement because we came out of the dark room meditation. We got engaged and then we had our soul ceremony 12 days later. So basically that whole like quote unquote engagement mm -hmm. was spent planning a little shotgun wedding in Mexico. Mm -hmm. Granted, it wasn't legal, but we treated it as though it was. Yeah. And what I'm realizing is I wasn't ready to actually legally bind myself to Johnny for another year and a half. So that kind of was the engagement phase. Yeah. And I'm really realizing the beauty of the engagement phase as the initiatory process yeah. of preparing all parts of you for what sacred union really asks. Yeah. Um, so I just love that. I know you've, you've ceremonialized weddings that were multiple day events mm -hmm. because there's things that need to be done Yeah, beyond the I do's and the vows. Yeah. I think you just spoke to it really like the, you spoke to it with your hands. So for all that yeah. we're watching, she had this beautiful weaving with her hands, um, but really slowing down the process. Mm -hmm. I think that I mean, you spoke to it with the ceremony of the sacred union and landing here and getting landing to Colorado. And you were like, there's so much happening. You know, you just move through a lot with your dad's passing. And I think that like that desire to slow things down is also to really experience all of it mm -hmm. to get rageful. If that's there to get, you know, to grieve, if that's there to, you know, um, just to be with anything that's coming up. And I think we're a, a society that is craves slowness. We crave it and we don't even know we do. Oh, 
Okay, I know I crave sweetness, <laughs> but I, I don't think I've always craved it. Maybe a part of me has. Yeah. I remember, this is so funny you said that, um, a, a life coach friend of mine several years ago said to me, she's like, Kelly, you need to slow down. You're moving life too fast. You're making mistakes. You're being crazy. You got to slow down. And I was so triggered by that. Mm. I was like, don't tell me what, like, hey, don't tell me what to do. Mm -hmm. I'm still in my reactive, rebellious stage. I was super feral, right? And I needed to learn how to slow down in my own. Yeah. And now it's like, oh, all I want to do is slow down. So, so why do you think it is that we want to slow down? Mm. And what are the signs that might appear that tell us it's time to slow down? Well, there's a distinction that you just really brought. It's never a slowing down as a placed suppression. What I don't Mm. believe in is kind of like you being frantic and it's like, I'm going to squish. I want to squish you to make you right. The suppression that I think any spiritual thing can kind of mask suppression sometimes, you know, like Mm. be slower, be more present, be more this, be more that. Right. And if we're not doing it from a genuine internal Mm. place versus like be like suppression, it's, just wanted to really speak to that distinction of slowing down more of like, well, I have been moving really quick and creating. Let me just take a moment to like breathe. Let me take a moment to like really witness what just happened. Because I know for me in one day, I start the day and I end the day very differently. Like I'm a different person. Mm. And I think the more I start to be bring in that, that slowness or those moments of pause maybe is a better way to say it. Um, and reflection, I just get to acknowledge how different I am and to upgrade my files and, Mm. you know, to tell my young part, Hey, we're making space for you. And Hey, do you notice this is happening? And to tell my wounds, like, I think it, it just allows for an opportunity to start to pay attention to what's happening internally Mm. and how different we are. We're we're so different on a daily basis, I think, often. (laughs) (laughs) Even if you're not, you know, on the spiritual path. Yeah. You know, it's it's hard to argue with pausing, but it's in the pause where the stuff comes up. So I think, I I believe I've been this person. Mm. Um, I know a lot of people like this where you have to keep moving fast because you are not willing to actually meet yourself yeah. in the present moment. It is so much easier to just keep being the road runner, yeah. <laughs> tripping over yourself in life going so, so quickly. But I think that's what then brings somebody to their fifties, sixties, seventies, when life forces them to slow down through yeah. health and crisis or even earlier, you know, and then they they look and they're like, what? Yeah. What, where did my life go? Where was I? And so as life is ceremony, right? Mm. It's like, it's all happening. Ceremony is sacredness. It's happening every single Mm. moment. It's happening while you brush your teeth. How many brushings of our teeth have we missed? Yeah. Because it wasn't interesting enough. Yeah. I started this new practice where I'm like mindful brushing Mm. and I get down into a squat. If I stand up, then I like have a tendency to walk around and like try and multitask Mm -hmm. with the other hand. But I just go down into a deep squat in my bathroom, (laughs) naked or in a robe, and I'm just brushing my teeth and I try and brush with the left hand, my non-dominant hand. 
and I feel each tooth. And it's a two minute ceremony of just presence. You know, it's not enlightening. It's not like anything. I'm not going to write a book about it, but like, I know that when I do that, it brings me back into my body, brings me back into that space. And there's a, just a deeper, like, ah, yeah. (laughs) What is that phrase? After enlightenment, do the dishes after enlightenment. You're just going to brush your teeth. I was working with a healer the other week and he's like, I'm going to bring you into non-dual reality. And I won't go into like what that exactly was. He's like, but it's really going to disappoint you. I just want to let you know that. Cause like afterwards, it's just all right now. Yeah. It's just all here. <laughs> it's not this crazy peak experience. Yeah. I know. I, I think this is like an awesome, like, you know, people do these like video of like these older people saying like, you know, what do you wish you had? done differently you know and you're as you're older now and they're like yeah I wish I didn't care so much about my body or I wish I you know enjoyed life or something appearance and I think that we can get on this rat race this unconscious rat race of creating the next program so that you know so that I can finally be loved I don't think that's where all new programs come from but (laughs) I think when we can slow down and really you know turn inwards and be like why am I what has me want to do this thing? Mm. What has me want to get married? What has me, you know, believe this about the way I think I'm going to parent as I come into being a mother? What has me, um, you know, the just getting to really turn the eyes inward and and check it out because I think that, um, you know, that sometimes we don't even know we're taking our past into our future. And I think these moments of pause, these moments of of initiation and and recognition and death um, allow for us to be like, whoa, how long have I been carrying this thing for? Oh my God, I don't, I like, let's just be with this and be present with it and allow it to heal or be witnessed so that I could then turn towards life. And I think that was really the death into birth like I think about the timing that this is going to come out in the new year and it's Mm -hmm. like okay new year is all about you know kind of like this this okay I'm gonna be do this this year and I'm gonna like you know just like just like I'm gonna make a million you know whatever it might be for people this is a new year new me and we can forget that oh let's let something die. Let's have a death ceremony before a life ceremony. Mm. Let's let the new years take me into like really just honoring what's closing. Yeah. Honoring what's ending, honoring everything that's happened this year. Um, so that, okay, then new life. You don't just throw out the old, like, you know, I'm going to let go of this thing. It's like, don't agree that we can just let things go i think we can honor them and they yeah transform Mm. it's so beautiful a few a few things yeah i know in our ceremonial process you know the first real ceremony you and i had was a death ceremony Mm. for myself Mm -hmm. just to sit in the frequency of death Mm -hmm. and what wanted to change Mm. what was being let go and i didn't quite have a um an answer, like a clear articulate answer. Mm-hmm. I had ideas, you know, like, well, my single, single Kelly is, is dying. And, um, now I don't have a 
a real father in, in real life. And like all these things that I could point to of recent historical events that I was like, yeah, these chapters are clearly ending. Mm-hmm. And what I love is that we just stayed present like what wanted to come through and what did come through was absolutely surprising mm. where I felt like, like the archetype of death was with me yeah, and she was, she felt like a 12 year old girl mm. and she was laying next to me and it felt like so much love. Mm. And I remember her just saying like, I am so here for you. I am always here for you yeah. and I'm always going to be here. And I wish you would just look at me. Like, I wish you would play with me. And I remember crying and just like, how much resistance have I had to my own personal death rebirth processes, craving the rebirth, craving the transformation and the new version of me on the other side, but not willing to actually go and let, let something die in the process. And like, you can't have birth without death. And like, that's, so that's the relationship I'm in now. And Mm. You know, we held that ceremony and now in two weeks, we are having a rebirth ceremony, a self-marriage, a dharmic ceremony, this ceremony to honor my fierce commitment to myself and my own path. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't get there unless I fully met the parts of me that wanted to fall away and just commit to that relationship forever. Yeah. So that I will always be in that cycle, Mm -hmm. not just this one time. Mm -hmm. Mm. I remembering the the death holding you and just like the witnessing of that and yeah the there's such a beautiful marriage between death and life like they are lovers mm-hmm. and I think that there's just such a beauty of in in the midst of creation to honor the composting of leaves, like to honor, Mm. you know, the, just the, he did the death, the compost, the compost. Yeah. 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 I was talking to my mom the other day and she was like, could you imagine if the leaves, we were just talking about leaves falling off the tree. And she was like, could you imagine if the leaves never composted? We just have layers and layers and layers and layers and layers of dead leaves. She's like, and we couldn't see the ground. And uh-huh. she's like, yeah, totally. It's kind of life. So I know that I feel that many people right now are in big personal transitions. Mm-hmm. The pandemic brought that upon us. And it was a massive mirror for us to look at ourselves and say, what needs to change? I think a lot of us met ourselves in a new way mm-hmm. a couple of years ago. And some people have gone back to life as normal, you mm-hmm. know, and then some people have really honored, like I'm different. I'm changing. Yeah. What, what is your like more practical guidance for people who are in their own version of transition, whether it's career relationship, identity structures, um, where they want to live, how they want to live their lives, what they, what they care about, what they're passionate about. How can we get into a lifelong relationship Mm. with that death and rebirth on a personal level. Mm. Mm. I love this question. Mm. I think this, 
this, I keep saying the map that I often reflect back to, which is death, Bardot, life. And Bardot is really this time in between, let's say you have a breakup, you know, in the death, in this death part of the map, you're going to honor the breakup. You're going to, you know, notice what is, is wanting recognition, noticing, um, what's coming to a close, what's ending, how you're different, the parts that maybe got triggered, the parts that didn't, the beauty, you know, you're really going to revere if it's a business, if it's a career ending again, revering, like really place whatever's ending on an altar and, and you be in relationship to it, um, and see what messages come or what wants to happen there so that you can really honor the you that was, um, in that space, in that relationship or career or, um, that time in your life and, and really acknowledging that that's, you'll never be that person again. That's ending. Yeah. Um, and then this Bardot, this beautiful Bardot place, which at first I kind of had res- resistant to the Bardot when it started coming into my awareness. And now it's like, Oh my God, I love the Bardot. And it's really, it can be disorienting sometime. Like, who am I? What am I doing? What do mm. I want? You know, this, I've been talking to so many people recently where they've just like something big has ended and they're like, I kind of keep getting glimpses of what I want, but in moments of excitement, but I just feel really like disoriented. And mm-hmm. I'm like, that's normal. Yeah, totally. In the Bardo space, it can be disorienting. It can, you can have like emotions. Um, it can be like lots of grief or bouts of like immense joy. It's also a space of limitless possibility and recreation because you're in this place that's like, you are no way. You're in a way that you just had an ending and there gets to be beauty forming. Like, what are you wanting to breathe more into your life? What are you wanting to bring more in? So this is really this beautiful destruction creation space, this both existing between worlds where you get to really come in contact, really be honest with yourself. Like, what am I wanting? Mm. What would bring me joy? Not because of any shoulds. Or any things I think I need so that I, I could be whole. It's like, what do I want? And I find that in this liminal space between worlds, mm. between realities, that question should be asked in a different way than you've answered it before. Mm. And not just mentally. Because I find that if we bring the same patterns of decision-making and knowing ourselves in that we had, you know, to get us into whatever previous chapter is ending, like we may just recreate the same thing. And I think this Bardo stage, like you said, it's so important, but it's so uncomfortable too, because it's the, it's the time in your life where if someone's like, Hey, what are you up to? You're like, uh, I don't know. You know, what do you do for work? I don't know. Nothing. Right. It's really uncomfortable to answer honestly in the, I don't know. And, um, I think once we learn how to actually embrace that, it's a really fun, fertile stage. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I know like other frameworks call it the fertile void, the magic dark. Mm-hmm. And it's like, yeah, that. there's magic happening in it, but you also might just be sleeping a lot. You might mm-hmm. have absolutely no idea. And like what piques your interest in that stage? Yeah. Is it a random bookstore that you just feel like you have to go into? Like truthfully, I, I think I'm, 
um, I think you can be in it in different parts of your life. Like you could be full bloom in one area of your life and totally. then like this bardo liminal stage in another part of your life. And one of the things that's recently grabbed me that surprises me is getting back into working with my hands mm. and out of a, a particular bardo that I experienced, I kept being drawn to looking at embroidery. And I was like, I'm going to buy an embroidery kit. And then I actually resisted using it for like six months. Cause I was like, no, it's stupid. Cause I was judging it from the mind prior to that. Yeah. And now I'm like full blown embroidery hobbyist. It's yeah. Really, you know, it's like, you don't know what transformation will happen on the other side of that. Yeah. And allowing our, like to hold your own identity structures lightly. Cause, cause it's going to be different if you let it. And that's good. I think this is like, this is a thought that just came, but I think this is where our inner child or innocence can be such a brilliant ally because the innocence doesn't have, you think of children, they don't have it yet that there's a way that they need to be. Mm -hmm. They don't have it that not knowing is a bad thing mm -hmm. or that sleeping all the time isn't just the best thing. You know, they're like, yes, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I think that, you know, really calling on the guidance of your inner child and the innocence to like, hey, rem remind me how to see with eyes unclouded here. You know, like remind wow. me how to not hold judgment in my times that I am being completely destroyed. Um and see this as a fun, not always fun, but, you know, really, yeah, enjoyable new game where we're on the playground and we're becoming these different characters. Um, that's just something that came through just through being here to, to, with you right now in this moment. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so going to call on my inner child in those moments. Mm. And I think that's, you know, just to like bring it back to my framework too. Like I, I honestly think our childhood innocence is our wildness, which is why I open every podcast conversation asking about your wildness as a child, because my theory mm. is that pre to, you know, prior to age six or so, depending on our family, we are more or less just our fully expressed, authentic, wild little selves and whatever our curiosities drive us toward, whatever our creativity drives us toward, like it's just it's part of our essence mm. and we lose that. We lose that because of schooling, family, conditioning, shoulds, be good, compartmentalization, all of the things. Yeah. And so one of the best ways to get back in touch with our wildness as an adult is just to say like, how would my, how would I be if I was a kid right now? Yeah. What would I? And I'm so fascinated by the unschooling movement. This is a conversation for another time, but Knowing, uh, I've, heard, I've read reports that kids that already went into the public schooling system for a couple of years, when their parents took them out to unschool or homeschool, and they asked the kids, like, what do you want to learn? They were like, I don't know. And they were muted. They were dull. They didn't have access to their curiosity. And it took kids anywhere between three months and two years for their innate curiosity and creativity to come back online. Yeah. And once it did, you know, then they're like, Oh, stars. All I want to learn about is stars. Right. And then you like nurture that. My own story that makes me sad is that for probably like four years growing up, all I wanted was a telescope mm. birthday, Christmas. I asked for telescope, never got the telescope. Mm. And I'm just curious, like what was trying to come through me yeah. in third grade 
where I wanted a telescope. Yeah. I don't know. I can't connect to it now. I see the stars and I'm like, awesome. But like that curiosity isn't so alive. Yeah. And so I just asked like, what does my inner child want to do is not a selfish question. It's not silly. It's truly life-giving. Yeah. I think those that you just said, the silly and the, these are, I just think of like the wild, you know, the wild essences, all our little bubbling beauties and internally that we come into this world as, um, really starting to, to confront the ones in us, or just sit down and have tea with the ones of us that, you know, have those stories of silliness Mm -hmm. and have the stories of that, because I think that's where the juice lies of like, okay, let's, let's lean in here. Let's play. Let's, you know, return back to our little young ones. Yeah. Yeah. So another theory I have is that children are just so intimately connected with nature Mm. and earth. Um, So what is one of your favorite ways of reconnecting Mm. to the natural world? Mm. Walking and talking with all the plants. Uh Like if you, I mean, if, even if people are around, sometimes I'll go on a hike and I'll just like talk and like this morning I was harvesting pine and I would just went up to them and I was like, here's why I'm harvesting you and how are you doing a day? And, you know, and it just reminds me of when I was younger playing <laughs> and being, I was like, Oh my gosh, it's, it's so sweet. Uh, yeah. It just reconnects me to my sweetness. So yeah, being out in nature and talking with nature. Beautiful. Yeah. Um, I want to know afterward how to harvest pine. Very curious <laughs> about that. Um, Okay. And so we're one day away from winter solstice. When this podcast is live, winter solstice will have passed, but we will be right at the new year, Mm -hmm. 2023. Um, And right now it feels like the element to connect with is water. Mm. What is one of your favorite ways to connect with this element and why might it be important for us to connect with water, especially at this time of year? Mm. Mm. I would say one of my favorite ways is to go and listen to a creek or go and touch my hand and put the water to my forehead or if it's warm enough or still cold to go and stand and put the, my feet in the creek or in a running river or, you know, in a body of water and just feel it and breathe with it. Um, another simple way is like when you're having a shower, just pray with the water, thank the water, you know, water holds memory in it and it, and it does so much. There's cleansing, there's clearing, there's, you know, really pulling toxins. And I think that when we build a relationship with water and when we can reconnect with water, it's also like reconnecting with the memory of ourself, remembering ourself. Mm. Mm. So yeah, a lot of like times that I need to reconnect or recenter or like we have water in us, right? With our blood or blood water. Um, so there's just a lot of like connection and communication so every time i go into relationship with it i notice i leave feeling more in connection and especially with all the pollution that's happening you know Mm -hmm. it's like we it's a it's a precious resource right now Mm -hmm. um yeah Mm -hmm. do you have any other 
rituals that are timely for the transition of the year, mm. either as a way to close the year that is ending um, and the, how to begin. Yeah. I love to go through my year. Um, this won't come out to the new year, but next week I'm doing this kind of event thing where it's, we're going to go through the, I call them closing loops. And it's, it's essentially like going through the year and tracking where do I have open energy? Where do I, where does my energy still linger? Am I still with my past relationship? Am I still with this job that I you know, didn't get or so on and so forth? And I kind of just go back through my year and walk through and see where does my energy linger or where does it not want to go? Mm. You know, because usually sometimes the where it has resistance is where energy is still going to. Um, so I'll do that and like write it down and then, you know, look at it and be like, okay, which loops am I ready to close? Mm. Which ones do I want to continue to keep open, but consciously? Mm. And is there a way that I want to do some work? Like, let's say it's a a really a friendship that I was like, ah, oh, I don't want to close it. I don't feel complete with it, but there's something here that I want to redesign or mm -hmm. do differently. And I think that it allows it actually like breathes into the next year. Like, Oh, here's, you know, I, Oh, I have so much more space now that I closed these loops. Um, and here's what I want to intentionally open because I have more space or it's like, Oh, now I get to go have these conversations with my friends mm. or, you know, at my job or yeah, different environments. So that's a, that's a big piece, more death than birth. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I have a very similar practice. I call it my energy audit mm. and it's just looking at where, where does my mind get pulled to? What are my thoughts getting pulled to? Mm. What feels unclean? Mm. And like, I just need to go in and like sweep this up. Mm. And I even made a commitment to myself that before the first or the 31st that I would feel fully clear about where all my relationships stand. Wow. So maybe that means that I have to have a conversation with some people to get into clarity and others. It's more just me on my own side, yeah. like getting clear. And I don't, maybe there's no action attached to that, but I have found that when I can just do these continuous not continuous. I do. I try and do it actually quarterly, but the mm. annual reflection is always super juicy, especially looking at to the, the more I get into cyclical living and cyclical planning, like it then offers me the space to say like, what happens over the next four seasons? Yeah. Less so like what happens in the Gregorian calendar of 2023. Mm. Although, you know, it, I'm still in that system for sure. Um, and yeah, just to kind of tie some of our other open loops from this conversation together, it's like this episode is launching right after the new year. We're in the peak of winter for the Northern Hemisphere. Winter is the time for stillness, for death, for reflection, for uh, slowing down. And so just an invitation for us to honor that. Mm. And we're not wrong if that's what's happening naturally in our systems, because we are nature and we have our four seasons too. Mm. And just like offering a tenderness to the start of 2023. Mm. We don't need to run out the gate with all of our resolutions and new us, new year. Like uh, all of you's coming forward. <laughs> all of you, <laughs> so you forward. might as well sit with yourself for a, a little while and just feel what that means. Yeah. <laughs> so beautiful. Mm. Mm. Well, Olivia, this has been an absolute great honor. Mm. My 
final two questions. Can you leave our listeners with a question that they can contemplate that would help reconnect them to their own wildness or maybe their own innocence? What would be a question that they might journal on or sit with over the coming weeks? Yeah. I mean, what is your relationship to your innocence or your your wildness? That feels like a very simple, basic one, but let me see if there's, If everything was done, if everything was met, every every aspect of you complete and whole, how would you want to play in the world? What would you want to do? How do you see it? How would you breathe it? How would you be it? Hmm. Yeah, that would then like go wild in that. Like don't I notice sometimes like it when I'm journaling or something, it can start out like mind here are the things I would do. And then slowly as I just relax my mind, I just let my hand take over, the subconscious takes over and then it starts to play. So it's like, let yourself write like three pages or something and play, like go all the way out. Don't even make up your own words, you know, do, do write backwards, however it wants to come out. Uh Yeah. I love that. And it feels like whatever happens, especially if it's surprising mm-hmm. or not expected, like there's the medicine, there's life, the ceremony. Yeah. Like you get to sit in your own medicine that comes from your own writing. Mm. And that might ask you to change something on the other side. Mm-hmm. When, when you strike your own gold, ugh, you know, you can avoid it for a little while, but eventually you have to let yourself go all into it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like when the inner child unconsciousness rises to the surface and all of a sudden it becomes conscious it's like oh i have to embroider i have to paint i have to dance i have to go hike that mountain Mm -hmm. okay (laughs) and a hundred reasons will come up why it's not productive not not necessary not responsible whatever the thing is and yet it will never it will never leave you alone banging on your door (laughs) yeah yeah Totally. Yeah, just like an inner child, just like a child, right? Yeah. Let me in, let me in. Yeah, do you want to build a snowman? It's like, <laughs> do you want to embroider? <laughs> I I can just say, like, the more you give into those impulses, the more whole you feel. Yeah. Um, the more alive you feel, and the more differentiated I I feel. You know, you said like we are all so unique earlier. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah. And what is that weird uniqueness that wants to shine through you? Yeah. Yeah. I think of Salvador Dali, like he was a weird, wild one. And, um, <laughs> and it, you know, it's like, it was also very untamed, like mm-hmm. did not have, you know, did not have some way he needed to be. It was just like, okay, just go ham. And I think that like, I think that when we, begin to ask the question is like of am I letting my inner child playfully out am I allowing my essence to come out and be wild um it will we might be shocked and surprised the way it want to it wants to express and that's where our adult our inner adult or the one that constrains our inner child or has it that they're not gonna be able to 
make it in the world or so on and so forth. I think that's the opportunity where it must bow down to the child or be humbled and be curious and learn something new about the self. So it's opportunity. You don't have to take it, you know. It's like, well, do you want to have more enjoyment in your life? No? (laughs) All right. Well, here is to a more playful, childlike, wonder-filled 2023 for everybody. Thank you, Olivia. This was such an honor. Can you let listeners know if and where they can connect with you? Yeah. Yes. Where to learn more? Um, so my website is a place you can find out more about my work, um, which is www.olivia-broughton.com. And then I'm somewhat on social media. Um, and maybe I can just give you my... I'll, I'll, I'll put it in the show yeah. notes. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Um, okay. Well, this has been its own version of ceremony. Mm-hmm. I love all the threads that we've opened up and pulled on, hoping that everybody else who is listening feels closer, can, more connected to themselves, their heart. Just wanted to reflect to you, Olivia, that this is such important medicine that you're bringing into the world. Just this perspective, just this mm-hmm. sentence, life is medicine, or I'm sorry, life is ceremony. If we just said that a couple times throughout the day, mm-hmm. anytime we feel disconnected or like something's not going our way, or we feel dull or muted or whatever the thing is, mm-hmm. you wake up feeling grumpy, like life is ceremony. It just feels like it brings more ease. Mm-hmm. Thank you for supporting people in their, their largest transitions and their most sacred moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you, Kelly. And thank you for having me on this call. It's so much fun. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. And right back at you, at you with the importance of the work of rewilding and coming back into the connection of that wild inner one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thanks okay. for having me on. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this episode of Wild on Purpose. Please think about writing a review and sharing it with your friends. If you'd like to learn more about my leadership offerings or join my newsletter, visit wildonpurpose.co. Lastly, I'd like to thank my podcast editor, Jabril Al-Suhaimi, for helping me weave this audio journey together, and all of those who have supported me along my path as a creator. Until next time, stay wild.